I am going to preach part two of uh, the truth about difficult times. And so I want you to open your heart this morning, and I really want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Now, I know it's very easy for us to get distracted, uh, but let's pay attention this morning. Let's open our hearts. Let's open our Bibles. Let's open our ears and hearts, and let's listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to each of us. And I know that if we open our heart, that the Holy Spirit can bring a transformative word in your life. How many is ready for the word this morning? I said, how many is ready for the word this morning? I said, how many is ready for the word? Amen. Amen. Part two of how to deal with difficult times or the truth behind difficult times. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read one verse together. Romans 8 and verse 18. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse number 18. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of which shall be revealed in us. Verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Part 2. I'm going to speak on uncertain, the truth behind difficult times. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have together in your word today and in worship. We are reminded that the word says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts, that we would clearly understand the word of God and apply it to our hearts, that it may not only be informative, but also transformative at the same time. We ask that the Holy Spirit would do whatever the Holy Spirit desires to do today. We pray that you do something that's not found in the bulletin. We pray that miracles, signs, and wonders would follow your word. We thank you that every demonic force of the enemy is bound, rebuked, and brought to no effect. And I thank you that the word of God would go forth in power, and the word of God will go forth in boldness. And all God's people shouted a great big amen. All of God's people shouted a great big, you may be seated. The land that we call America is one of the greatest countries in the world. I just want you to take a few moments. And I want you to think about how blessed we are as a country. As a country, we have natural resources. We have been blessed with wealth. We have been blessed with education. We have been blessed with technology. We have been blessed with the freedom of religion. And we also have been blessed with opportunities to pursue our dreams. I think that we all can agree that America has been blessed in so many ways. We have become so prosperous. We are so advanced. We are so high tech that literally you can push a button and have access to anything. America is possessed with an attitude that we must achieve, succeed, and climb the ladder. Truly, we are the land of the free and the home of the brave. But ladies and gentlemen, our country don't feel so brave and free today. We are drowning in fear. 
We're drowning in confusion. We're drowning in uncertainty. Confu we are drowning, and not only drowning, but we're almost paralyzed by not emotional fear, but almost a spirit of fear. COVID-19 has changed the way that we will do life from now on. We are struggling as a nation, and I would push the button and say this, somewhat we're struggling as a church. We're struggling in how to deal with difficult times. We don't know how to deal with it. And I would say this, I'm not sure if we know how to suffer well. We have lived in prosperity for so long that we feel as though we are entitled to be blessed. We are so high-tech that we forgot that life is really fragile. We have associated the blessing of God to God's favor and suffering to the work of the devil. We have viewed suffering as a third world problem. The church today has to somehow correspond the gospel of prosperity to the gospel of suffering. How can a good God allow anything to happen to a prosperous nation like us? I would further note this, that we have become so egotistical that we are shocked when we are confronted with suffering and difficult times. My friends, listen to this preacher this morning. During the seasons of difficulty and during the seasons of uncertainty, it is imperative that we do some introspection. How are we going to deal with difficult times? How are we going to deal with suffering? My friends, it is important that you know that we're all going to suffer at one point or another. We are not immune, immune to it. You're going to suffer. You're going to experience difficult times. And I believe that as a church, it is important for us to know how to deal with difficult times. And do you know why I believe that's important? Because it will happen to us. We need a working theory in how to face suffering well. If we don't have a working theory in how to face suffering well, then you and I will drown in confusion and doubt and perplexity. Somebody said that suffering is the distance between what I want and what I get. Dr. Tim Keller said it so well. It is the distance between what I want and what I get or what I have. Think about it. Suffering is the distance between something that I have at my present moment and something that I desire in the future, and it's the distance between the waiting. You see, uh, we, we don't know how to articulate how we feel when suffering comes and knocks at our door. We don't know how to deal with difficult times. Some of us throw our hands up and we quit. We sacrifice ourselves to the uncertainty. Some of us give up. Some of us question God and His church. Some of us become relaxed in our devotional time because the enemy has lied to you and told you that it doesn't work anymore. We are drowning in doubt and confusion over how to handle suffering. And my friends, if we don't know how to suffer well, then you and I are not going to make it. We're not going to know how to deal with it. We're not going to know how to press forward. And this morning I'm asking you to open up your heart, open up your spirit, and hear what the Spirit has to say to you this morning as you listen to the words of the Scriptures. You see, one of the things that I've discovered is that suffering 
is nothing new to humanity. As a matter of fact, from the beginning of time, mankind has suffered. Now, suffering comes in all forms. It comes in all shapes and sizes. But we all suffer. No matter what class you may be in, no matter what type of social status you may be finding yourself climbing upon, you will suffer at one point or another. Your suffering may be different from mine, but we will all suffer, and suffering will knock at your door, and you need to know how to deal with it well. You see, since the beginning of time, mankind has been acquainted with suffering, and mankind has wrestled with it to try to figure out how to deal with it. And I'm going to quickly, give, just very quickly, give you four reasons or four historical ways that people have dealt with suffering. The very first one is karma, the karma religion. And you know, you've heard of the word karma. You know, uh, we, we throw that word around. You know, if you don't behave or you've done me dirty, karma is going to get you. But there are religions around the world that's based in this theology, that's based in this idea of karma. And do you know what karma is? Please don't lose me, church. Look up here. Do you know why people people uh, get frustrated and they don't understand suffering? Is because some of us need to go back in history and we need to look at we need to look at how people have dealt with history and compare it to what the Bible says. People have dealt with suffering through karma, and karma means this, reincarnation. That means this, that when you die, your soul migrates to another body or another life. In other words, if you are bad in this life, you will suffer in the next life. In other words, if you are suffering now, it is because in your previous life, you were bad. Do you get that? If you are suffering right now, it is because in your previous life you were bad, so therefore you are paying for it in this life. And so the goal of it is, is for you to get off of the cycle of death and rebirth and join your soul with the all soul of the universe. You see, the view of suffering with those karma religions is this, that whatever you are experiencing right now is perfectly just and fair. In other words, there is no unjust suffering. Absolutely no unjust suffering. You see, what you are experiencing right now is completely, completely fair, and it's completely just. That means there is no unjust suffering. It's the second view of how to handle suffering. Jeremy, can you go, please go to the next slide, please. The next slide. Buddhism is another view. You know, Buddhism was kind of created out of the answer to suffering. Now, I don't want to bore you with the details, but primarily their Four Noble Truths says this, that life is miserable. Life is just a bunch of suffering, and suffering comes from desire. So Buddhism teaches this, that if you want to extinguish suffering, that you've got to extinguish desire. Get rid of your desire, and you can get rid of your suffering. The view of suffering in Buddhism is this, don't be attached to anything, let go of your desires. Have you ever seen a Buddhist monk in their orange robes, shave their heads, pray for so many hours, remain celibate, don't eat certain foods. What are they doing? They are cutting themselves from desire. Kind of like the Roman church. Lock yourself up in monasteries. Lock yourself up in convents. There's nothing wrong with that. They want to do that. Dress yourself in black. Abstain from worldly pleasures. Cut the desire out of your life and you will minimize suffering or you will do away with suffering. What about the third view of how people have handled suffering? It's called the shame and honor culture. This culture simply says this, suck it up, buttercup. Life is hard. Don't show emotion. My daddy didn't cry, you shouldn't cry. Real men don't cry. Don't let it get to you. 
You need to fight for your family. And if you are suffering, it is an opportunity for you to show that your family, that you're willing to do whatever that's necessary to bring honor to your family and your tribe. These are historical ways of people have uh, wrestled with suffering. These are historical ways people have tried to deal with suffering. Of course, karma religion says if you're suffering, it's because you deserve it. Buddhism says, well, if you're suffering, you need to get rid of your desires. The shame and honor culture says, listen, just suck it up, buttercup. Learn how to deal with it. But in our society right now is what I call the modern secular society. The modern secular society, that is the society that you and I are living in. That's the society that you're sending your children to school. That's the society that you and I are living in and participating in right now. And our society does not believe in the supernatural. Everything has to have a scientific explanation. In other words, the real world is here and now. If you cannot scientifically explain it, then it's not real. The idea of miracles, the idea of afterlife, that is the society that you and I are living in. And the view of suffering in our society, get this church, the way our, way our society deals with suffering right now, in 2020, the society and the world that you are a part of right now, this is how we deal with suffering. I told you previous explanations of how people have dealt with suffering, but this is how we deal with suffering. We don't know how to deal with suffering. That's the issue. We do not know how to deal with suffering. As a matter of fact, we push against it. And we attach the meaning of life to the material world. Get this, church. Don't lose it. The society that we are in, the world that we are in, the society that we conduct business in and go to school in and work in, that society is humanistic, which states everything is about us. The real meaning of life is attached to something that you see. It's attached to the material world. If you don't see it, it doesn't exist. And so they attach the meaning of life to the material world. But Christianity comes along and says this, Christianity answers the problem of suffering. God does not ignore it. The Bible does not ignore suffering. And there are Christians today that want to ignore it and pray it away and quote scripture to try to do away with suffering. But the Bible does not do away with suffering. It transforms our suffering. Christianity answers the question of our suffering. It teaches us that we have a God who came into this world to suffer unjustly. What does the karma religion teach? The karma religion teaches there is no unjust suffering because if you are suffering right now, it is because in your past life, your reincarnated life, you were bad, so you are suffering now. But Christianity says that's not true. We have a God who came into this world 2,000 years ago, and he is the pinnacle of the person who who suffered unjustly. Can I hear an amen? We also believe in the promise of an afterlife. Christianity teaches that there is an afterlife. In other words, the modern secular society says this, everything has to be proven by scientific explanation. Christianity says that's not true because there is a promise of afterlife. There is something that science cannot prove. There is a life beyond this life, and there is a world beyond this world. Number three, Christianity teaches us that there is a promise of a resurrection. In other words, number three, there is the restoration of life. In other words, you don't have to be stoic. You don't have to be detached from humanity. You don't have to suck it up, buttercup, because Christianity teaches us that you can weep at the tomb. You can weep at somebody's grave. You can be remorseful. You can be sad. You can cry. But at the same time, you can take heart and know that there is a great resurrection that's coming soon. Hallelujah. Come on, next slide, please. So, you see, not only is there the promise of a resurrection, 
Not only is there a promise that there is an afterlife, there is a promise of the restoration of life. See, my friends, karma says there is no unjust suffering. Karma says if you're suffering, it's because you deserve it. Buddhism says you're suffering because you desire too much. Shame and honor says just suck it up and be stoic and be a man about it. Christianity refutes all of them and says there is unjust suffering. You don't have to be detached from the world and do your desires. Your desires need to be transformed into godly desires that you can, you can be attached to loved ones and see them in the future. You can cry at somebody's grave. You see, my friends, if you're looking for a, cutty, a cookie cutter, clean answer to the issue of suffering, you're never going to find it. But the Bible does say a few things about suffering that I believe that we need to pay attention to. And there are four possible reasons why I believe the Bible says why bad things happen to good people. Why does bad things happen to good people? Listen, I've pastored for 17 years. I don't have all the answers to life. I've stood at the bedsides of many people. And I've watched people cry. I've watched mothers hold their children as they grieve themselves to death. I've watched parents bury their children. I've watched children bury their parents. I've seen people get in horrible accidents. I've seen tornadoes. There is the, the list is endless. We, we come to a place in our life where we ask the question, why is this happening and why is it happening to me when I have served God ever since I've been a child? Well, let me tell you this. Jesus says that it's going to rain on the just and the unjust. And just because you are saved and Holy Ghost filled doesn't exempt you from suffering. What God is promising, that I, you may not know everything about suffering and why you are suffering, but God's grace has the ability to transform your suffering into something that will bring God good in the future. And I hear an amen. Why is... How should we look at suffering? Well, number one, this is the way I... Oh, this, there are four possible reasons why people may suffer. Number one, suffering may be the result of your own sin and your own choices. Isn't that right? The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. The Bible says, For he that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit will reap everlasting life. In other words, some of our suffering is a result of our own sin and our own choices. Remember the story of David, King David, how he made a poor choice and he sinned against God and the community, and because of his sin, God judged him. He suffered. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 16, and I quote, David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and laid all night on the ground. And so the elders of the house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. You see, my friends, because David sinned, because he made a poor choice, he suffered. And I'm telling you today that some of our suffering is a result of our poor choices and our own sin. If you are suffering today, you need to ask the question, did I cause it? Is there anything I need to own up to it? Is there something that I've done that's caused this suffering in my life? Number two, suffering may be the result of a spiritual attack. Listen, when you read the Bible, especially in certain parts of the Old Testament and primarily the New Testament, you will discover that we are, we are in a war. We are engaged in a spiritual war. And even though we win in the end, that does not exempt that there's still a battle. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12, the Apostle Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Listen, principalities work through personalities. Do you ever notice, have you ever noticed that there, that there seems, have you ever, you ever on this journey of life discovered that there are 
maybe attacks against you spiritually that no matter what you do, it seems like it won't be resolved. Maybe it's at your house. Maybe it's with your kids. Listen, we got to stop and think every once in a while that maybe it's a spiritual attack. Maybe the enemy is at work. The Bible says in Job chapter 1 verse 1, Job is a prime example of a man who served God and yet suffered. The Bible says in Job chapter 1 verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz. His name was Job. And this man was blameless, upright, feared God, and shunned evil. This man did not deserve to suffer, but this man suffered. The Bible says in Job 2 verse 6, the, the God himself gave permission for Job to suffer. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. In other words, Satan, you can do whatever you went with Job, but make sure you spare his life. You see, my friends, suffering may be the result of your own sin and your own choices, but number two, suffering may be the result of a spiritual attack against you. If you haven't done anything to cause your suffering, you need to ask the question, what spirit is the enemy attacking me that I must fast and pray and get a breakthrough? Number three, suffering may be the result because we live in a fallen world. And thus I will say this, that most of our suffering occurs because we live in a fallen world. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the scripture is clear. The Bible says that sin was passed to the whole human race. Get this, sin was not passed on the race, sin was passed in the race. That means that when you are born, you are born with the nature and inclination to sin. Sin does not come upon you, sin lives in you. Because when sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, it was passed to us through our DNA. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, Therefore, as just one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death passed to all men, because all men have sinned. We've all sinned. So if your sin is not caused by your own sin or your own poor choices, maybe it's caused by a spiritual attack. If it's not caused by a spiritual attack, maybe it's just general suffering. Maybe it's just because we live in a fallen world. Listen, suffering is the result of sin. And isn't it amazing that suffering primarily is the result of sin? And yet suffering is what brought us salvation. Because that's God's plan. God transforms our suffering into something glorious. God used suffering to transform the world. He used suffering to bring us back to Jesus, to bring us back to God. Even though sin brought suffering, suffering brought salvation. Is there anybody in the building that can wave your hand and say, Thank God that God used his suffering to bring us salvation. Hallelujah. Number four. Suffering may occur because you are doing what's good. Suffering may occur because you are doing what is good. I'm reminded of the story in the book of Acts chapter 4 of how the apostles were thrown into the, 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 the prison because they did something good. The Bible says, and I quote, Acts 4 verse 1, Now as they spoke to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them. Do you see what happened? These disciples were preaching. They were doing something good, and yet they were thrown into prison. They laid hands on them. They put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of them was about 5,000. You see, you can suffer because you're doing good. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, and I quote, The apostle said it like this, For it is better, if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good, than to do doing evil. 
The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says in John chapter 15, verse 18, and I quote, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you are of the world, the world will love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So you cannot be surprised that the world is against the church. The world is against the Bible. The world is against prayer. The world is against you because you got the Spirit of God living in you and the Spirit of God is against the Spirit of Antichrist that lives in the world. Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 12, the Apostle Paul said it clear. For all those who desire to live godly in Jesus will suffer, will suffer, will suffer, will suffer, will suffer persecution. If you live for Jesus, you will suffer. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, listen to this. The Apostle Paul said it like this, for this is commendable. It is because of a conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it? When you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. My friends, if Jesus suffered, if the world hated Jesus, if the world is against Jesus, if Jesus suffered, then my friends, why do you think you will never suffer? Why do you think the world will sing your praises? The world is not going to clap for your accolades. The world is not going to stand up and applaud for you. They are against you. The world is anti-Christ. It is against the Christ. I said, somebody say amen. If they hated Jesus, they will hate you. What fellowship does light have with darkness? I know you all are acting like you just got up out of bed this morning, but I feel the Holy Ghost up in this house this morning. Is there anybody that can just wave your hand and say, thank God he chose me to be a part of what he wants to do in my life? Jesus said it like this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Get this, church. That is the criteria of following Jesus. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What is Jesus saying? Jesus saying, if you want to serve me, you've got to take up your what? Now, that's not shouting territory to you because, or it is shouting territory to you because I think we've got to go deeper. Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. And when Jesus said it 2,000 years ago, the word cross is not a place that we exalt in worship. The cross was not something that was found in steeples throughout the world. The cross was not an emblem of worship. The cross 2,000 years ago to the Jewish mind was an emblem of curse and torture and suffering. Do you know what Jesus was actually saying? Hey, guys. If you want to follow me, you need to take up your suffering and follow me. You need to take up your suffering and follow me. In other words, in modern language, in 2020, Jesus would say it like this. Take up your execution chair and follow me. Take up the gas chamber and follow me. 
In other words, Jesus is saying, if you really want to follow me, it's not going to be easy. If you really want to follow me, there's going to be hardship. If you're really going to follow me, you're going to suffer. But if you're going to follow me and get the eternal reward that's found in the end, you must pick up the cross and follow me. You've got to take up your suffering and follow me. You've got to take up your sickness and follow me. You've got to take up your bankruptcy and follow me. You've got to take up your loneliness and follow me. You've got to take up your rejection and follow me. You've got to take up your hurt and follow me. Whatever is against you, take it up and follow me. Let me just preach a little bit this humanistic gospel where there's five steps to prosperity and how you can get a new you. New year, new you. These five steps. Some of us spend more time looking at ourselves in the mirror than we do at the word of God. The Bible says the Word of God is the mirror. That When you look at the Bible, you discover how sinful and faulty and broken you truly are. It's hard to get people to serve Jesus nowadays. we got to bring out Foo-Foo the dog and Bozo the clown food trucks. We got to bring out the lights and the smoke. We got to wear our skinny jeans and slick back our hair and be real cool. It's hard to grow a church nowadays because we are not used to suffer well. Not used to it, are we? America has polluted. has Rearranged biblical theology. We're more concerned about our American rights than we are what the Bible says. My right, my right, my right, my right, my right, my right. You may have a right, but you don't have extra rights. Somebody better clap your hands. And as a Christian, what gives you the right to be right? Because according to Romans 8, that when you got saved, you became a slave to righteousness. Last time I studied history, slaves don't have rights. How should I... This is some hard preaching, isn't it? But every once in a while, the daddy has to give you some fruits and vegetables instead of eating ice cream all the time. Is that all right? How should I look at suffering, Pastor? Number one, you need to look at it like this way. Number one, this is how you need to view it. We live in a broken, sinful world, and suffering is unavoidable. There are times that you will receive victory in areas of your life. You will pray, you will fast and receive answers to prayers, and you will be victorious and you will walk in victory in many areas of your life. But there will come a time where suffering is unavoidable and you've got to face it. Jesus said in John chapter 16 verse 33, These things have I spoken to you that you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. Number two, God identifies with our suffering. In other words, God came in a human man, a human being, and died on a Roman cross to demonstrate to you and I that suffering is a part of life. But not only is suffering a part of life, do you know what God will do? God is saying this, that whatever predicament you find yourself in, 
no matter what suffering you find yourself in, I have the ability to take your suffering and transform it into something that's good. Because Jesus is the example. He took our sin and suffered on the cross and brought about a good in the world that redeems us from our sin. Suffering can be redemptive if you allow it to be. You can be powerful or you can be pitiful, but you cannot be both. Number two, not only does God identify with our, you know what you need to do sometimes when you're suffering? You need to go ahead and weep and go ahead and cry. Weep and cry. Or I like to say like this, weep, comma, cry, but trust. It's okay to cry. Don't, don't give heed to the, to the shame and honor culture that says, suck it up, buttercup. Accept it. No, 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 no. Have you ever stood at the casket of someone you loved? The Bible does not tell us that we shouldn't cry. We shouldn't weep. But if you're going to weep and you're going to cry, there are some things that's very, very painful. But if you're going to weep and cry, I'm asking you to trust God in the process. To think and pray. Isn't that what David said? David would think about it. My tears have become my meat day and night. But the next verse he would say, but I'm going to give God the thanksgiving of praise. That's what the Psalms is about. He's thinking it through and he's praying it through. And when you find yourself in suffering, not only do you need to weep and trust, but you can go ahead and think about it. Go ahead and think about it. Go ahead and think about the questions, but go ahead and pray about it as you think about it. God has not called you to deny suffering. He's not called you to deny reality. I was sick one time. I was very sick one day. I was at the church office, not this office, the other church pastor, church I'm asking. I was throwing up. I was so sick. I was so sick that my arms were drawing in because of the lack of potassium. I was so sick. And I had somebody stood the next day, because I had to go to the hospital, the next day said to me, you're not sick, Brother Pennington. You are healed. I wanted to jack his jaws right there. Because I wanted to take him to the bathroom and show him that for the last 48 hours, I had been puking up my guts. I was sick. And when you find yourself in suffering, do not deny it. Go ahead and confess it. Go ahead and acknowledge that you're suffering. Go ahead and say you're sick. Go ahead and say you're struggling. But at the same time, trust God that He's going to bring you through the process. Go ahead and think about it. And as you think about it, go ahead and pray about it. Hallelujah. Can we just stand to our feet all around the building and go ahead and think and pray, weep and trust right now, saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. I don't have all the answers, but I thank you for it. I thank you that no matter what step I take, it is directed by you, and I know that it's going to be all right in the end. said, hallelujah. Do you, know, you know what, church? Jonah found himself. Jonah found himself in the belly of a well. And when you find yourself in the belly of suffering, turn the well into a prayer room. Turn it into a prayer room. Turn the fiery furnace into a prayer room. Turn the pit into a prayer room. I'm almost done. I only have like two points. Number four. God can use your suffering for a greater good. You may be seated. For his glory. God could use your suffering for what? A greater good or for what? Do you remember the story of John chapter 9 verse 2? And I quote, and the disciples came to him saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? 
You see it? John chapter 9, verse 2. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but the works of God should be revealed in him. In other words, his suffering was not a result of him sinning. His suffering was ordained of God so that God would get the glory. So suffering can be for a greater good or for God's glory. And lastly, how should I look at suffering? Number one, how should I look at it? We live in a broken, sinful world. Suffering's unavoidable. Even after you get victory over things, you will come to something that you will suffer with. Number two, God identifies with our suffering. Don't ignore it. Number three, suffering causes us to reorder our loves and hopes. Now, isn't this amazing? That when you suffer, doesn't it have the ability to make you put things in priority? When you're sick and laying in the bed, you begin to think about your life, and you begin to think about maybe it's not wisdom for me to work 60 hours a week and neglect my family. Suffering has a way to cause you to reorder your loves and your hopes in life. And sometimes suffering happens to you because God wants you to prioritize your life. Number four, God can use it for a greater good or for his glory. And number five, and in closing, God doesn't always take you out of suffering. He takes you through it. He promised you that he will be with you. Can I just prophesy to this Pentecostal church this morning? God doesn't always take you out. God sometimes will take you through. When you, Sister Beth, are found in the fire, he will be in the fire with you. Pastor Brandon, when you find yourself in the furnace, he will be in the furnace with you. When you find yourself thrown in the lion's den, he will be in the lion's den with you. When you find yourself at a hospital bed grieving the loved one of someone that is sick, he will be there with you. He will be there at the homeless shelter. He will be there at the divorce court. He will be there at the unemployment line. Hallelujah. No matter where you find yourself at, I've come all the way from Annie Baxter to let you know that God is a God that will be with you in the fire. He will be with you in the fire. You cannot have sunshine without rain. You can't have pleasure without pain. If you're going to be an overcomer, you've got to learn to overcome something. If you're going to be a victor, you've got to learn how to fight against your opponent. Because true faith does not operate where there's a guarantee of victory. True faith operates where there's a possibility of defeat. He will give you grace to make it. That's what he said to Paul. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he said, at least I would be exalted by a measure of the abundance of my revelation. There was a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Least I should be exalted a measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would depart. And he said to me, Your, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, if God won't take you out of it. And sometimes he will. But if he doesn't take you out of it, he will give you grace to endure it. He will give you the ability to sustain it. Listen, folks. I can't promise you. Look at, look at Pastor up here. I can't promise you a new house. I can't promise you a new car. I can't get up here and prophesy a perfect marriage for you. I can't prophesy that your kids are always going to be good and when they grow up, they're going to honor you and turn out to be a wonderful man and woman of God. I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that you'll be blessed with wealth. I can't promise you that you will be healthy all the days of your life. I can't even promise you that you'll always have your job and maybe you will go bankrupt. Maybe everybody will leave you. 
Maybe people, maybe you will be good to someone and they'll stab you in the back in the end. Maybe that will happen. Maybe pastors will fail you. I can't even promise you a perfect body. Even after you get everything sucked up and sucked in and tucked in, it might still fall. I can't promise you that your business will prosper. Life's going to hurt. People are going to hurt you. You're going to go through difficult times. I can't even promise you that after you pray, everything will be all right. Because that's the quick help and self-help of Christianity. Pastor, I prayed. Nothing happened. Pastor, I tithe today. Why isn't my bills paid? Pastor, I sung my song. I did what you want me to do, but it's not happened. Sometimes we want to spend 30 years sowing bad seed and expect it to change overnight. He that endures to the end shall be saved. You've got to learn to stand in the face of opposition and suffering and difficulty. And you cannot let suffering and difficulty delay you in your pursuit to God. I'm disheartened when I find church people leave church because of hardship. Decrease church attendance because of hardship. Grieves me. Because that's not the scriptures I read. Suffering and hardship should be able to transform you into something that's mightier than you were. You can either be powerful or you can be pitiful, but you can't be both. I can't promise all the luxuries of life, but there's one thing I can promise you. I can promise you this, that he will never leave you. He will never, he will never leave you or forsake you. He will always sustain you. He will always walk with you. He will always go with you. He will always strengthen you. He will grace you. He will be a light to guide you. He will be a comfort at the midnight hour. He will be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He will be a storm. storm. He will be a shelter in your storm. My folks, listen to this heart of mine. He won't leave you in your suffering. You know what? I can't promise you all that, but I can promise you, hallelujah, glory to God. I'm just trying to contain myself. I can promise you that if you hold on, that you endure, that you don't give up, that you persevere, that you stick to it, I promise you there's going to be a life beyond this world of no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. But I've come to tell you, can't give up. That's why the Apostle Paul said it clear. He said, 2 Timothy chapter 12, if you endure, if you endure, you shall reign with him. That's why our text said it like this. My present suffering does not compare to the glory that's await for me. My bad relationships is not going to compare to what's waiting for me. My sickness does not compare to what's waiting for me. My bankruptcy doesn't compare to what's waiting for me. You are reproached, 1 Peter 4, 14, for the name of Jesus. In other words, if you suffer, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and the God who rests. 